Wake up, buyer payer people. It's a beautiful day. Go grab yourself another cup of joe and say hello to Jim and Michelle Rhodes on the Buy Here, Pay Here morning show. Take it away, you two. Good morning. It's another morning show. <laughs> it is. And we are like, uh, we didn't quite make it to Guyman, but so, there's a long story associated with that. For those of you who are like paying attention. Yeah, they don't think um, they pay that kind of attention. I, well, I mean, why wouldn't everyone pay attention to that? Well, these honey, I don't, they have their own lives. I don't know if you mm, are Well, aware you have, know, I mean, I don't know. Some people live their lives by good morning america that yeah well they gotta be pretty <laughs> bored to live their life by the morning oh show. that's absolutely true absolutely uh, true so good morning from um, uh, oklahoma city good morning from we're only what, about five hours yeah five, five hours that. away so um yeah just shout out where you're where you're listening from and and good morning and yeah. um we just we love to hear where people are are uh, tuning in from yeah we we at some points in the winter time we've asked you to uh, tell us your wake up temperature this morning i would ask you to tell us your compare wake up wind speed we got <laughs> high winds in oklahoma so uh, it is like in the 60s which is yeah, lovely it's mild. yeah it's mild winds are out and, of the south yeah yeah um yeah but i was told her when we got out of the car i welcome back to oklahoma the wind you know, yeah i grew yeah, up yeah, with yeah. oklahoma wind so sure. yeah so um you know uh i'm not going into i i ended up um getting food poisoning over yeah. the weekend. That's what, yeah. took, that's what could, took us a little bit further, um, a little bit more time than we had anticipated. Yeah, was, poor thing. She yeah. slept for most of 24 hours. And, of, uh, on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Mm, but, yeah. Miserable. Yeah. So um, still, it's like, oh, do I want coffee? Yeah. <sighs> Good morning, George in Arizona. <laughs> Chris Major in Central Texas. Chris has sent some of that wind up this way. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hugo, Chili 56 or 66, Chili. Tyler Simmons, good morning. Yeah, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy on that 66, mm -mm, Hugo. So, no. Yeah, yeah. some no. folks up north are probably frozen. Yeah, we well, saw, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, we were chatting with a, a dealer friend up in uh, Cincinnati. You didn't even know that um, Ohio dealer was at the game in Cincinnati last night. And it looked pretty chilly. Everybody's pretty bundled up for that game. In, in, yeah, the uh, Bengals? Uh, Bengals that's, game? Yeah. We kind of watched it a little bit. Um, yeah. Michelle uh, nodded off and I finished I watching the game. See how, so <laughs> the Bengals yeah. fans went home you happy. Can sleep so. through anything, can't yeah. I? Yeah, you pretty can. much. <laughs> jeans and shorts, jeans and shorts. Yeah. What a battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in yeah. on a Monday, especially. We've got an interesting topic today. We got yeah. probably got a couple announcements we need to get to before yeah. we dive into that stuff. But uh we're less or just a little more than two weeks. Two, two weeks from tomorrow, we do our webinar yeah. Yeah. on uh Let's see. What is that subject again? We got Troy coming to talk about story branding. So we're going to talk about how to tell your story in your marketing yeah. and uh, and win more customers and more sales that way. So yeah. that'll be a good one. Yeah, it will be a good one. Um, uh, Tommy Brandis shorts all the way. I okay. I had a friend. I'm sorry. We're I'm squirreling. Oh yeah. I had a friend that worked for UPS out of Salt Lake years ago, and it was like this competition amongst all the UPS drivers to who could stay in shorts the longest. Mm -hmm. And he lasted all winter. Wow. I know. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it gets, it gets, it's he brutal. won money. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, Hey, if money's on the line, if it's a decent enough amount of money, mm -hmm. it's like, I can handle all the copays to the emergency room. Yeah. No bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to say though, bare legs is different than a bare yeah. upper body. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like, it looks like we're getting a lot of, uh, uh, 
weather's good here, when, weather's good there, good, weather's nice. good everywhere. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Yeah, we should be down in Texas. They've got a um, bunch of bunch of our friends and colleagues are heading to Dallas today and yesterday for okay. the board meeting for NIADA. So, oh right, yeah, yeah. Mid midweek this week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yep, very good. All right, what well, are we talking we, about well, today? We got a big subject, <laughs> man. I'm really um, taking a big bite here, mm -hmm. um, and and I have to throw a. Uh, a disclaimer out on the very front end of this. We're going to talk about numbers and I shouldn't be bringing numbers to the morning show. Under the <laughs> Especially on a of, Monday. <laughs> well, and under the influence of sinus medication. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah. The minute we hit the border into Oklahoma, he's like, Oh my goodness, what's going on? Yeah, and started sneezing. Started and sneezing and he woke me up last night sneezing. Stopped and bought nasal yeah. spray. So it's one yeah. of those kind of things. But anyway, you'll hear it a little bit of my voice. And so mm -hmm. the numbers, um, anytime we talk numbers, I mean, I actually, we made the decision on the topic last night. I pulled the numbers together quickly this morning and uh, we've got some numbers to share yeah. on the screen for those of it's, you, some are listening to the car, yeah. we'll see the numbers, but um, we, we but, can read them. Yeah. We can <laughs> kind of talk through them, but yeah. Yeah. I think this is an important thing to think about. We, we get this quite a bit in our conversations with clients, either when we're working with new dealers that mm -hmm. are getting in the business, you hear a lot of, uh, you know, chit chat on social media about this subject. And so we really want to just take it on as a way to say, let's, let's, let's just break down some numbers. Yeah. Let's get down to the numbers mm -hmm. and look, see what the numbers will tell us about this subject. Because in particular, we've been working with a client recently where they have had a pretty consistent down payment range, you know, throughout their business life, mm -hmm. they're reassessing their business model and, and looking to create more volume. And so among the things we've been contemplating is if we moved the down payment some, so we allowed more customers to access financing, does that make sense for us? So as mm -hmm. we, as we start modeling that out and making a judgment and we're making recommendations to the client. And by the way, today, I'm not making any recommendations. I'm not advocating one business model over the other or business strategy for our purposes today. I'm just laying out numbers, mm -hmm. you know, and let you guys well, look at the numbers. You did, you did a uh, poll last week right. on um, percentage that people charge for their down payments. Yeah. And, and it was predominantly um, around the, uh, 10 to 15 percent yeah and we have a number of clients that are below 10 percent that's another thing that prompted the conversation mm -hmm. that's been some conversations we asking around that with, is that too yeah, little some of the capital providers mm -hmm. are you know are suggesting that might be low and so so it's like we it's a question like we for me it's really a business decision mm -hmm. and the numbers don't lie and i'll just tell you in advance what we're doing here today is not exactly an apples to apples comparison because everybody's a little bit different well yeah these too. these are just numbers though but what i'm saying is it's it's also not an apples to oranges comparison it's more like macintosh apples to Honeycrisp. it's like there's some <laughs> slight variations here you know so I'll but, just, but then, all of a sudden our yeah. viewership goes down to zero <laughs> yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. no yes. i mean but it's it's relevant it's um, relevant um, yeah. and jim was he was running numbers this morning and um and said, come over here and take a look at this. And because Jim has spent 20 plus years working with clients and he's got some uh, charts and spreadsheets that have a lot of formulas in them that kind of will spit out certain numbers. Um, you know, you you add the, the, the important pieces and it'll just spit out the numbers and it'll track it you know, one year, three years, five years out. And so you can kind of see, you know, if, if we, if we track with this, what will it 
overall cost us? What will our cash flow? I mean, all of the stuff. So some of the stuff that he's going to show today is um, something that we use with our clients. Um, but we're kind of going to let you in behind the curtain a little bit. And yeah, see so, so I'll show just quickly on the screen. I don't want people to get too bogged down because there's a ton of stuff. That what I'm we'll try to, for those of you who are listening, we'll yeah. try to speak the things. Yeah, we'll for tell those you of what, you who are watching. Yeah, yeah this, watch. Is a, this is a first for the morning show. Mm -hmm. We're going to show live spreadsheets. But basically, um, <laughs> Jim's got a twinkle in his eye because uh, he loves spreadsheets. I, I must. I work with them a lot. Yeah. But, um, so, this is actually something I built in 05 uh, for my own dealership. And I was just, I built it out of frustration. I couldn't find anything in the marketplace that would do what I wanted to do. I've told the story about how I had a snowy stretch in, uh, when I lived in North Texas and I just kind of buried myself into the spreadsheets and I just built something that would let me do year over year comparison so we're not mm -hmm. using the year over year differences everything's locked in mm -hmm. because we wanted to be able to choose just a couple of variables here and see the impact of that so before we start showing the the spreadsheets let's talk about the variables and like just kind of set the stage for what it is that we're we're about ready to kind of like yeah so so what i wanted to do in order to kind of illustrate the difference so i really kind of exaggerated it we just said okay if you if you cut your down payment in half and that doubled your sales volume, which we know is not exactly the way it would work. But it, that's well, what it chose. Well, most everybody, I think it's it's a general understanding that if you decrease your down payments and you know even do some kind of marketing advertising, you're you're gonna get more people in. Yeah, you're just gonna. Or get if more you just choose in. to approve people with even if the same mm -hmm. traffic that you have already. Oh, that's and you that's just choose true. to approve. Yeah more people with us how many people do we turn around turn away because they don't have a big enough down payment but they look like they're going to be a decent risk other than the down yeah and there's new data out there to support the idea that you know down payment may not be the predictor that we once thought it was so let's be careful about mm -hmm. that and i would just challenge everybody look when you're out there talking numbers and somebody's giving you numbers ask them to back it up and so i think you know ask them to show you the data mm -hmm. and so that's what we're trying to do here today is i'm just going to show, show you the data show you a comparison yeah. side by side and 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 you know the numbers don't lie as and they say, we've so. we've talked before um our friends at neo uh they've been tracking um success of deals based and you know they they'll they'll run numbers based on down payment and what what um naveen and the folks there have said um very firmly is that your down payment has no bearing on the success of a loan. Well, I'd be careful about or, that. I, I, don't, I haven't heard them say exactly that, okay. but I think they're saying it's not, it's not as predictive as we first thought, just because okay. you're taking less down payment. I apologize. Mean, yeah. Just yeah. let's be careful about what we uh, say <laughs> on their behalf, but basically. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Naveen. Yeah. No, they basically, um, they're just saying, and there's just, like I say, just get inside the data, look at the mm -hmm. data for yourself and make a judgment of what makes sense for you and your business. But I think that for today, what I just wanted to do is take this side-by-side -side comparison. And you want to go ahead and show the screen. I can start. Yeah, I'm going to do that, and um, I'll take us out. So yeah. So now, what you've got is, um, and and there's some things going on here that are going to confuse people if you spend too much time on this screen. But basically, what I've chosen is I've got what you see on the screen is the model with a volume of 30 every year for five years, a volume of um, or I'm sorry, selling price of $11,000. I chose a, a unit cost of six grand, a recon of 500. So 6,500, it doesn't matter for the numbers. You could do 5,000 unit cost and 1,500 recon. As long as your total uh, inventory cost adds up to that, the numbers are going to work out the same. 
Then for this particular one, I'm doing the higher volume. Basically, you'll see that when we get over the other screen, what I'm comparing is a $1,000 down payment at delivery and a volume of 30. And I'm comparing that to a $2,000 down payment and a volume of 15 sales a month. So I just locked in all the other variables. I just said, if, if our collection rate is the same, our APR is the same, you know, all these other things are locked down, mm -hmm. then what, what does that look like? So, you know, again, I'd have to change it on the screen. We don't necessarily need to do that, but those numbers over on the far right, kind of in a, in a pink shade there, those are showing you the maximum cash out to get positive. And what you can see over there is this particular model. And oh, by the way, I have to make sure I say, I stripped out for the purpose of this side-by-side -side illustration, I stripped out all overhead and I stripped out all startup costs. So you can see down there in the, in the lower middle of the screen, it shows um, key figures included in the model. Startup costs with inventory zero. I zeroed that out as you had, as though you had no startup costs. That's something we typically load in there when you got the business is brand new. And we obviously have some costs yeah. associated with getting a business. And then overhead per month, I stripped out overhead. And look, we get it. You can't take out overhead, you know, in the comparative model, because we all understand that as you grow, if you do double the volume, you're going to need more manpower in both sales and collections, potentially probably recon. You can't take it out, but for the purposes here, <clears throat> we just want to see what's the investment in the portfolio investment in contracts. If we, if we chose to grow the portfolio in this way, what would be the impact just on the portfolio? So that's why I chose to just strip those things out altogether. And, uh, you know, in the lower right hand corner, they're kind of in green. Uh, it gets you a little hint of what we try to do for clients. We try to help them understand from a cash flow standpoint, how many contracts do I need to cover overhead? How many contracts would I need actively paying me to, to cover costs of replacing inventory, et cetera, et cetera. So again, that's what this cash flow modeling tool is built to do. And mostly it's, it's, it gives us a chance to, compare uh, side by side, or I'm sorry, year over year. Like if I wanted to show the impact of reinvestment and I wanted to take my positive cash and boost my volume, you know, in year three and year four, then I could do that with this modeling. So that's what you're seeing on the screen. But I think we can go ahead and take people over to the other sheet. Let me, uh, let me share that on the screen. I think I can just leave it where it is and I'll share it on my side. And uh, so now. You want to enlarge that a little bit yeah, and then we can, yeah, sure I think it is. To do that in a way that's. Yeah, there you go. Get back to the top of the sheet. So this is cash, profit, and receivables comparison. And it's just that scenario that I talked about. We're going to double the down payment and cut the volume in half or, or flip that around. Flip it around. But again, this is funding of contracts only. It excludes overhead just for the sake of illustration. And of course, it includes startup costs. But again, we've got down payment at delivery. Let's just look at this one first. This column is the higher down payment, the lower volume. If our down payment is $2,000, our volume of 15, our cost of car is the same. So these areas in gray, they're the same. So cost of car, selling price, add-ons. I did allow for add-ons. You can see over there the notes on the right side, that 7% sales tax, $199 doc, and $175 uh, tag or re registration related fees that we would have to finance. So the cash and deal per month at this level is $84,000. That um, includes add-ons. So we would be funding 15 contracts a month with that kind of cash and deal. That's about $85,000 in cash and deal. I use the same conversion rates. This is kind of hard to explain, um, you know, in a short format here, but 
basically the way that I have found is most predictable to forecast a buy here, pay here portfolio is use what I call conversion rates. I don't know what the other uh, folks would call it, but it's basically the rate at which your portfolio converts to cash. So, or converts to charge off. So, so then in this case, we, we have a lot of history with this number, with a number of clients. Most of our clients actually run better than this 3%. Obviously, term is a factor in, in all of this. But I chose, for the sake of illustration here, 2.9% principal collected. 2.9% would be the percentage of the opening principal. So, so another, way, another way to say that is if you collected, I'm sorry, if you opened the month with you know, a million dollars in principal, then in that month to follow, you would expect in that calendar month, you would expect to collect 2.9% of that $1 million as your uh, principal, and then about 1.8% charge off. So we're just tracking principal there, obviously interest. Mm -hmm. I'm using, also, I didn't say I'm using 24% interest here. So the both models. So now what it shows then is we go continue to go down there, the results um, that, you know, you'd be interested to see, he said the funds required to re reach positive cash in the scenario where, let me do something. Where you do the half. So everybody can see what we're, make sure we know what we're comparing. Let me just freeze these panes. This is cool how we can do this on the fly, huh? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to freeze that right there so you can still see it as we go down and remind yourself what's what. So now the results the funds required to reach positive cash was 868,000 868, in um, cash to get positive. Okay. So that basically that's, that's, I need to go back and look. I, I'm, that's going to include income tax. Okay. So we need to address that because I, I did allow for income tax in this scenario. And so you've got about a 35% income tax built in there. And so that's important to, to consider. But now, at that volume, we need about $868,000 and it's going to take us about 14 months to get cash positive. So again, no overhead factored in there, but we, it takes about 14 months of just funding contracts before we get mm -hmm. to generating positive cash that exceeds our, uh, our cost of funding cars in um at that volume it's or, I, I find it interesting that the um the 30 at a thousand it's only a month more to reach positive yeah, cash flow i mean it's it's another million um, but it only takes a month more if you can get that. It's kind of telling it takes mm -hmm. a lot more cash. You can see it takes 2.1 million almost to get to that place. Uh, so then the, we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? So that's what this analysis was really, mm -hmm. uh, looking at. And of course, you know, we have to think about, okay, but will the loans perform better? If I, if I do 30 deals a month and I only get a thousand dollars down on those, will the loans perform as well? Mm -hmm. We don't have that data here. Yeah, We're it's just interesting. Saying, Tyler and I, I did, I um, was waiting on putting this down. He says our down payments have lowered from twelve to thirteen percent to eight to to ten percent over the last three years, and we ended twenty twenty two with the lowest amount of charge offs year to date. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So that's that's. Um, kind of ties into what we're talking about here, but mm -hmm. obviously what's happened with the down payments shrinking is more likely the selling price has come up. Down payments may or may not, the actual dollar amount of the down payment, which again, this is hard. This is in a mm -hmm. conversation like this, there's so many variables mm -hmm. here that we have to consider. Mm -hmm. So that's why I just wanted to lock down as many variables as I can and just say, let's just look at the math on if the portfolios performed the same. Let's just look at the results so what this shows is that the lower volume 
deal actually produced more cash across five years. That shows that it it generates a positive cash flow of nine eighty three. Uh, those are not seeing the screen, we're talking about almost a million dollars, nine hundred eighty three thousand dollars of cash across five years, and that compared to the initial cash investment of eight sixty eight is one hundred thirty two percent cash on cash mm-hmm. return. Now the receivables at end of year one are one point four. The receivables, again, this is on the low volume. At the end of year one is uh, 1.4. At the end of year three is 3.1 million. Now, that receivables against the initial cash, that 3 million at the end of five years relative to the 868 invested is 352% uh, receivables return. I did not get time to look at the actual profit generated by this, but that's worth looking at here. Mm -hmm. You're going to have more you generate more contracts, you got more profit, you're going to have more income tax, right? So this is all things to think about. And this is why we want you to talk to Amanda and Hugo Sanchez and talk to your CPA and involve them in this. But it's first, as you're deciding your business model, because you have a chance to influence this, but you want to do it in conjunction with your CPA and make sure your financial plan, because this is all part of business modeling and strategy. Mm -hmm. And what strategy will make sense for one is not going to be the same as for the next person, right? So we have to really be careful about that. But just for those listening and not seeing the screen, I'll take you through the numbers on the other side. The the higher volume, if we did a thousand down and did a volume of 30, then again, the funds required to get cash positive would be about 2.1 million. And we use that in 15 months at that volume. Um, obviously same cost to car, uh, same add-ons cause our selling price is the same and we just have less down payment. So we got more risk per contract and we're doing a lot more of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's why we need 2.1 million to get cash positive. And now uh, again, it takes 15 months. So only one more month to get to the place where we're generating positive cash. But now our positive cash across five years is 1.6 million. Uh, that's only a 78% compared to 113% uh, cash on cash return across five years. And that's not exactly the way you would measure cash on cash return for our investment folks out there. They would probably annualize those numbers. I'm just looking at total five-year number. And then um, end of year one, uh, receivables are 3.1 million. End of year five, we got 6.7 million in receivables. So you begin to see why, okay, if I'm selling paper, I'm obviously generating a lot more paper. So I'm going to be able to leverage that. I'm going to, I'm going to see more profit and I'm going to see more cash from the sale of paper. But for this illustration, we're just looking at if I kept the portfolio, if I owned all this paper myself and serviced it myself and enjoyed the cash flow uh, from it, that's what it would look like. And then the receivables cash against risk across five years came out to 323. So these were the numbers that were a little surprising to me in the past when I've worked with this. Um, I typically would expect to see more receivables um, yield against the capital outlay. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, it actually came up just a little bit short of what, when you compare to the total investment. But what you can see, we have obviously built a much larger portfolio. We are generating um, more positive cash in the same amount of time. We would have, obviously, we'd have more contracts and we would be generating more cash in, in about the same amount of time we get cash positive. So we would have more contracts on the books. We would be generating more cash. But again, this is just hard. To, you got to lock down all the variables except for the few that you yeah. want to analyze. And so that's what we've done here. Thoughts, questions? Well, I one of the things that I, I see, well, um, I think 
from me, and I don't completely understand all of the uh, all of the numbers as deeply as you do. But what I see too is that you've got twice as many customers mm-hmm. on the books, so you know twice as many payments that are coming in. But if you're treating your customers right, mm-hmm. that you you know you've just if you're getting people to return and to to, uh, to trade in a vehicle, it's like you've just created something that um, once you have this kind of uh, volume going out, um, right. and, I mean, it can. I, I think if if you if you were to look at this year over year over year, and you continued doing that, I mean, this is this shows you over um, how many months to do that. But if you took this the same kind of model and took it over five years or 10 years, I wonder what the, what it would look like. I mean, if you could um, be able to, to return uh, existing customers and that you're just looking at it. Um, I know you have spreadsheets for that as well. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't currently have anything built that really does 10 years, Mm -hmm. but I, you know, I'll just buy a bottle of aspirin and I'll, I'll make it happen. Um, it's, it's just pretty intense. to lay that So stuff out, but yeah. moral of the story for, for you is, you know, for me, I'm not even trying to deliver a moral here. I'm just saying the numbers are the numbers. We can mm-hmm. look at the numbers and decide for ourselves. I think what we have to do is, I, I, th- I think if there is a moral and it's something we've talked about before, it's, we, we know that anecdotally, Dealers have said over the years, oh, you know, if we call them the old car dogs, people have been around the business for a long time. And, and there's a lot of, you know, chatter at the auctions um, about this and that. It's the, the perception has been that I need more down payment from the customer to make the model work. Mm-hmm. And, and f- so we got to be clear. There's different things to think about here. Certainly getting more down payment from the customer helps reduce our cash risk it helps with cash management but what we're asking everyone to think about and and don't take it from jim and michelle don't you know go find the numbers for yourself we're happy to bring numbers anywhere we Mm -hmm. find them but I, i would just say that the data seems to support the idea that you know the having more down payment doesn't necessarily translate into a better loan performance so again, I'm trying not to talk about numbers without having the data to back it up. And, and I would ask everybody else in the industry to do the same thing. Let's don't talk about numbers without showing, you know, the results. So that's, I think we can all benefit from that. We're all going to learn. We're all going to get better as a result of having real information so we can make better decisions in our business about what makes sense for us. And that's all I would say is that we, we all need to be open-minded to the idea that, you know, numbers are numbers. We, they just don't, numbers don't lie. So we, we need to be prepared to go inside the numbers and say, if I did take on more customers with less down payment, would that mean more charge offs in that portfolio? Can't say, gotta Can't go find say. Well, out. Well, I mean, from what Tyler mentioned is for them, uh-huh. it's worked. Yes. Yeah. You know, they've had less charge offs. Yeah. There's a lot of variables. Part of the problem is looking at any one year. That's one of our problems in buy here payers. Why it's so important that we bring all the data people together and talk about these kind of things. Because when we look at one year, like what Tyler and what Tyler's doing there is entirely appropriate. It's just that when you're, you're looking at one year across contracts that are four years long, you know, you've got, you've got new contracts in the portfolio from the last year. You know, you've got contracts that you originated three plus years ago, maybe, 
And so it's, it's problematic. It's challenging in our business to look at one year and draw any real conclusions about profitability. You know, Amanda and Hugo live in this world all the time. It's like, you know, just because you, you had a good year in sales does, you know, that's, that's one of the problems is there's a disconnect between, and, and the IRS, you know, doesn't help us any Mm -hmm. because, you know, we have to report on our profit from this year. So you're looking at one year's worth of production and you were dealing with notes that are three and four years long. It's just problematic. And so I'm just saying for today, I just wanted to say if we could produce more volume by doing a lower down payment, would that make sense for you? For some dealers, it might. And so I think we need to get comfortable with the idea with some of our clients. And that's the phrasing I use with one of our clients is I'm going to ask you to get comfortable with doing some deals with less down payment in the interest of moving volume. And so for some, that's uncomfortable because they've been conditioned to believe that I need more down payment to make the loan perform better. And so I'm saying, what if we found out that's not true? What if getting a smaller down payment really didn't impact the performance of the loan? What if there are lots of other factors to consider and, and the loan might actually perform just as well or better with a smaller down payment? let's get comfortable with that idea. And, and I'm not advocating, like I say, some people are going to get upset and think I can't, I'm not, I don't, my model doesn't work. Well, maybe that's true for you, but I'm simply saying if it makes sense in your model to create more volume and we, and, and I've always said, and I think this is still true, like you can move the volume in buy here, pay here. Like it's a big knob, like a big knob on a ship, like the, the down the payments, or kind of, yeah, like a big steering wheel. Like you can control volume based on down payment. So Tyler Simmons, you agree out there? Anybody, Tom, uh, Tommy Brandis in Pennsylvania, you agree that you can move your volume by adjusting. You can you can run your down payments up and what's going to happen? It's going to stunt your volume, right? If you lower and down maybe payments, that's what you need for a few maybe, minutes, you maybe. know, for a month or two or but whatever. Point mm-hmm. is it's adjustable. And I would mm-hmm. say if we adjust it and we try to wrench in our volume up through more down payment, Let's invite all the people to the conversation and let's look at the data. Let's make it as transparent as possible so the dealers can make a good judgment about what makes sense for them. So I haven't read that yet. So uh, yeah, Facebook Tyler's- user earlier said, do you have any performance metrics to show the lower down payment performance versus the higher down? I don't, but there are folks in the industry that do. Like the problem with Jim and Michelle's data is that, you know, I've got many years of data, but it's kind of disjointed. We've got small little data pieces here and there and some of it's outdated and, and we don't have long continuous pools or massive pools of data. So we're not the right ones to, to try to uh, make that case, but we know the people and we're inviting them all to the stage, mm-hmm. to the microphones and whatever, to, to bring the data and let's share it with dealers and help them understand. Um, and, and let's not be protective of the data. Of course, we have privacy things to think about. All of us mm-hmm. who are in possession of data have privacy to consider, but I think there's ways to, to navigate that and be able to share the, the information in a way that's transparent. And so what this does is it lets us help dealers make a better judgment because uh, I got to tell you, this this is unprecedented times we're in with buy here, pay here. Mm-hmm. People are having to adjust their business models and too often they're having to do it on limited information. And it's a little bit uncomfortable for them and and, and rightfully so. You know, when you, you don't want to make these kind of decisions blind, you want, you want good data. You want information that is, you know, large enough that you can make good judgments about the future of your business. And so that's what today's about. It's just kind of laying it out side by side and you can make sense. Is that, does that kind of adjustment make sense for you? Obviously, again, we've exaggerated it. We just said, you know, double cutting your down payment in half, double your volume. That's not exactly the way it would work, of course. 
but in order to kind of make the illustration make sense, we just chose to do it that way. But that's, that's the kind of the thing that we have to think about in buy here, pay here. And, you know, Tyler's out there living it every day. Tommy's living it back in Pennsylvania. I mean, they're just dealers across the country that we talk to all the time that are having to make this judgment. And I, the good news is there, there are people that are compiling more data. There's uh, artificial intelligence is definitely moving mm-hmm. in our favor in the deep subprime auto sector. And so we just need not hide from that data. We need to go look at it. And, and we with, need to be prepared to let go of the way it's always been done. Yeah, if, if it can be, quant, you know, if it's quantifiable, sure. that certain models or certain ways of doing your down payment or whatever yeah. work, then yep. yeah, let's move forward. Yeah. Let's don't operate on incomplete information. Yeah. And know? I, I know that's been, that's been a, a theme with Jim. A lot of times where, where we'll hear this is, this is your benchmark, or this is the number that, that shows that you're, you know, doing well in X. And he's like, I want to see all the numbers behind that. I want to see the the data behind that. Um, instead of just throwing a number at me, it's like, I want to see like how it, how it's worked. So I appreciate when um, our, our Facebook user, cause we don't know who it was that asked that about performance metrics to show yeah. lower down payments versus higher down. Yeah. Like, our yeah, our data is just like, say, it's just too, too many small pieces of mm-hmm. data. It's not, not big you know, massive amounts of data. So that's the problem our, our side. But again, I hope uh, folks enjoy the conversation. You can expect, uh, you know, more of this kind of thing from, from me. And in the future, I will do it without the influence of, uh, <laughs> of sinus medication. So, uh, and I, and we're putting together, you know, we've got this uh, day long event that's happening at the end of March, um, which is going to be about blue sky freedom within your, within your business. Yep. And um, we've already started putting together uh just a the high level overall um theme of what we're going to be doing for the next one which will be sometime around june which is going to be about deal structure right and um bringing all the experts in and let's just have a really good solid um conversation about deal structure we're going to ask them all the Mm -hmm. questions on your behalf out there so yeah yeah. so yeah all right um is that it that's all i have (laughs) i'm just so done i'm so done (laughs) And I think he wants to go, I think he wants to go take a nap now. So, <laughs> yeah, we so we're going to, we're going to let Jim go take a nap. Yeah. Um, I'll find more coffee. What I want to do. Oh man, it's all downstairs. We'll yeah. just go grab some. Hey everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, happy Monday. I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week and uh, we'll see you on Wednesday for yeah. um, White Hat Wednesday. We'll yeah. talk to y'all later. Have a good one. Thanks.